Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. What I want to do is I want to take a week break off of what's in your wallet as we come into this new place and just preach a message to you that I think will kind of help us set the atmosphere for this place and then we'll pick up what's in your wallet next week. And so I want you, if you will, to turn to 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 8 through 22. It'll be on the screen for you. Oh, wait a minute. We've got a video I want to show. This, this is the funniest video I think I've ever seen, and it'll kind of set the stage for us. So, uh, Danny or Angie, if you'll roll, roll that uh, video, I want you to watch this carefully. and I'm not happy. In my day, we didn't try creative ways to reach the lost. Why, all we needed to do was make good music and they were just drawn in. The only musical instruments we had were a hollow log to bang on and, and two rocks to thump together. We made good music, but half the time we started a fire in the front row. Go get a couple buckets of water. We're going to sing a few hymns tonight. Oh, you better believe we were a beacon on the hill. That's the way it was, and we liked it. On my day, we didn't build relationships. We just yelled the gospel at people as they passed by the church. Jesus loved you, you dirty bugger. Or repent and rejoice, you old bat. Oh, how their eyes used to light up when they heard the good news. That's the way it was, and we liked it. In my day, we didn't worry how visitors were experiencing the service. Now, in my day, church was supposed to be painful, intellectually and physically too. So we put tax on the pews before the service. You could always tell a regular churchgoer by the grimace on his face. Now, if you got bored in a service, you had to keep yourself entertained. Maybe by playing connect the dots with Edith Marshall's neck moles or, or counting the hair in Abner Greeley's ears. Wonderful service today, Pastor. I traced the Liberty Bell underneath Edith Marshall's ear. You say I have a mission field in my backyard? In my day, we used to pay people to go off and do that mission stuff. Of course, then we had to sit and watch their boring slideshows on a Sunday night. But... That's the way it was, and we liked it. Oh, I long for the day when we were a bunch of rock-thumping, ear-hair-counting mole artists screaming the gospel at passers-by. That's the way it was, and we liked it. We loved it. All right, I don't know if that's your definition of revival, but if that's your definition of revival, I don't want it. Uh, I, I've been, how many of you have been in churches like that? Okay, about six of you. How, how young are y'all? All right, I've been in some old churches. Now, I, now listen, we all have our idea of what God moves like and what he looks like, all of us. But what I want to talk to you today about is this, this concept of revival because we've been talking over the last few months uh, to you about the fact that one of the reasons that we started Passion Church in the beginning is we, we said that we believe God is looking for a group of people who want more than more. Now, you can call that whatever you want to call it. The only thing I know to call that is revival. That we are asking God to intervene and step in on our behalf and move us into a place of revival where we can encounter God and know God and have, have impact in our life and change everything around us. Anybody want that? That's what I want. And so I want you to join me in 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 8 through 22. Um, and I want to try to define this thing for you because what was portrayed on the screen is not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for what happens here because it says, And the word of Jehovah came unto him, saying, Arise and get thee to Zarephath, which belonged to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to sustain thee. So he arose and he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. 
And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thy hand. And she said, As Jehovah thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a jar and a little oil in the cruise. And behold, I'm going, to, I'm going to gather two sticks that I can go in and dress it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not. Go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a cake first, and bring it forth unto me, and afterward make for thee and for, for thy son. For thus saith Jehovah, the God of Israel, the jar of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of the oil fail, until the day that Jehovah sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. And the jar of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of Jehovah, which he spake by Elijah. And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick, and his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. And she said unto Elijah, What have I done, what do I have to do with thee, O thou man of God? Thou art come unto me to bring my sin to my remembrance and to slay my son. And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up to, into the chamber where he abode, and he laid upon him laid him up on his own bed, and he cried unto Jehovah and said, O Jehovah my God, hast thou brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourned by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto Jehovah and said, O Jehovah my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And Jehovah hearkened unto the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. Then you can turn over to Malachi, or as some kids call it, Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, verses 2 and 3 says this. And I'm going to read it to you out of two versions. The first version says this, But who can abide the day of His coming? And who shall stand when He appeareth? For He is like a refiner's fire, and like a fuller's soap. And He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. And He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them as gold and silver. And they shall offer unto Jehovah offerings in righteousness. Now out of the Message Bible. But who will be able to stand up to that coming? Who can survive His appearance? He will be like white hot fire from the smelter's furnace. He will be like the strongest lye soap at the laundry. He will take His place as the refiner of silver, as the cleanser of dirty clothes. He'll Scrub the Levite priests clean. Refine them like gold and silver until they are fit for God, fit to present offerings of righteousness. Now, there's some things out of this story that I want to talk to you about. The first one is this. I, I, I know that you are familiar with this story. You know that Elijah has already prophesied that there would not be rain for three and a half years. And according to the prophecy, it was dry as a bone. They hadn't had any precipitation like we've had. It was, in a, it was a dry season, a dry place. And what I want to say to you this morning and, and explain to you is this, is that famine is always a precursor and a setup for revival. Always, and you can go find out any time in Scripture there's a famine that is, is, it is a forerunner, it is a precursor that God is using to set it up for a season of revival. And I came to declare to you this morning, some of you aren't going to like what I'm getting ready to say, but I believe I can substantiate my claim. I believe that there is a famine in Oklahoma City. I believe that we are in living in a, in a religious city, a city where there is a bunch of people that know about God and know what they're supposed to know about God, but they really don't know God. Oh, I hear about great churches. Don't get me wrong. There are great churches in this city. I'm just not so sure there are great people in this city. I know there are great churches that are having great programs. My issue is, is that although there are great churches, I don't see a lot of great change taking place. Because I hear about all these great churches out there, and I hope we're one of them, but I hope this is not what we hear. I hear about the great churches, and then I hear about the great churches, people still struggling with alcohol, and still struggling with gambling, and still struggling with homosexuality, and still doing the same drugs that they were doing before, and going to a great church, but there's no great change. We are in a famine, and I don't know about you, but I don't want to just have a great church. I want to see great change. There is a famine in our land, in our city, all around us. There are more people that live in this neighborhood right back here. This is the densest populated section of Oklahoma City in the entire metro area. And I can declare to you without any problem, without any doubt, without any fear, there is a famine in this neighborhood. And somebody has to do more than just build a great church. Somebody has to make change take place so people are brought up. 
Anytime there's a famine, God is looking for somebody to produce revival in. And I am declaring to you this morning, we will be that people or we will not be. All right, you got me? We're all in the same place. Page, there is a great famine. And so there was a famine in the land and, and great destruction was happening in the land. And, but as always... As always, God provides for his people. And so you know the story that, that Elijah goes down by the brook Cherith and God sends drink and he sends food from the ravens and all that kind of stuff. And, and he takes care of him. But you need to understand something. You need to understand the length of time uh, that he was there. Most commentaries estimate that Elijah was at this brook for about six months. Six months to six and a half months. And as you know, the, the drought lasted for how long? Three and a half years. So he was there for six months of this three-year period. And then all of a sudden, the word of the Lord comes to Elijah, and he says this, Go and dwell in Zarephath. Right? Go live in Zarephath. Go dwell there. So in, I know you're better at math than I am, but I can figure this out. If he was at the brook for six months and the, the drought lasted for three and a half, he must have lived in Zarephath for three years. Right? Now, isn't it poetic justice that he winds up in Zarephath. Do you understand that the reason that he was hiding in the first place is because Jezebel was trying to kill him? Go read your Bible. There's some really cool stories in there. In the Old Testament, Jezebel was a wicked uh, queen, and she was wanting to kill all the prophets, and she's chasing down Elijah, wanting to kill him, and God sends him to Zarephath, and that is ironic, and that is poetic justice, because that was Jezebel's hometown teaching us this, that God will always cut the thing down at the root. He will always go to the root of the matter. God wants to deal with more than your symptoms. Your alcohol abuse is a symptom. Your drug use is a symptom. Your depression is a symptom. There is a root in your life that God wants to get to, and God will always start at the root first. I'm preaching real good right now. Fill in your own little blank. Whatever is your problem, God will cut it off at the root. He wants, he's not satisfied with just getting your symptoms dealt with. He wants to go all the way to the heart of the matter and change your heart so the matter will change. And that's what he's trying to do here. And so he stays in our hometown. Another lesson here. When God hides you, nobody can find you. Your enemies can't find you. Your friends can't find you. Promotion can't find you. Nobody can find you when God hides you away. See, we think hiding is a defensive position, but you're wrong. Hiding is an offensive position. When God hides you away, he is preparing you for greater things. And when he puts you away, nobody you can't force yourself on the stage. Nobody will give you a microphone. Nobody will buy your book. Nobody will listen to your tape. Nobody will pat you on the back at work and make, give you the promotion you've been longing for. When God hides you, nobody can find you. Right? Some of you feel hidden this morning. Just hang on. It's good news when you're hiding. So God hides him. In the course of the three years that Elijah lives with this widow, the son dies, perishes, her only son. And you will remember what Elijah did. Uh, he went in and he laid on the boy and he breathed into him three times and prayed. And finally, the Bible says, I read it to you, and the child was revived. You know what Elijah teaches us here? That you can't revive somebody else unless you've been revived first. He's living at a, at a brook Having provision in his life, you cannot bring provision to somebody else unless you got provision on your own. Listen to me this morning. You can't go out and win this community or win those around you unless you've been revived first, unless you've had an encounter with God first, unless you know God and he's, in, he's changed your life. You're not going to change anybody else. Too many of us are out here preaching about you need to change, you need to change, and what we really need to do is go home and look in our mirror and say, I need to change. Revival and change always starts with us. So he goes and revival comes into the widow's house. And, and I just got a question. Why this widow? The Bible says in Luke that there were many widows in Sidon. It, she wasn't the only one. It wasn't like he walked in and here's the only widow and I'll choose her. No, the Bible says there were many widows in Sidon. So why did he pick this widow? I, I, I don't really know except for this. I believe God honored two things. First, I think he, obe he, he honored her because she obeyed. The Bible declares that obedience is always better than sacrifice. And when Elijah walks in, he says, get me a drink of water. She gives him a drink of water. And he says, go get me a meal. And even though it was her last meal, she gave it to him. She obeyed. Some of you need to, to, to go and make, quit making so much sacrifice and realize that God's not looking at your sacrifice. He's wanting to know, are you doing what he said to do? 
We don't understand. I worked all night doing what I just made all these sacrifices for God. But did he ask you to do that or did he ask you to get up early in the morning and pray? Which one of those two did he do? Because you can stay up all night long and he won't bless you if that's not what he's called you to do. If he said get up early in the morning and seek God, if you do that, he will bless obedience. Now, the other thing, uh, element of that, I think, is that he blessed her desperation. God always responds to desperate people. Most of the time, we don't get much of God because we're not very desperate. Oh, come on. We got nice houses, nice cars, nice clothes. I'm glad we do. We got money in the bank account. We don't struggle very much. I I mean, every once in a while, we might wonder how we're going to pay a bill. But most of us don't stay up at night wondering, what are we going to do? I don't have any food in the cabinet. I'm about to starve to death. That was her situation. She was desperate. Can you hear the desperation in her voice? I only have enough meal for one cake. How much did she have? Enough. It was going to take two sticks to make a fire. That's not much food. She was desperate. And God steps in. I want to declare to you this morning that I am desperate for a move of God like most of us have never seen. Hear me this morning. If we are going to have God interrupt what we're doing and change what we're doing and bring revival into our lives and into this church and into this community, it won't be because we go through the motions. It will be because we go before him out of a spirit of desperation. We'll find out how desperate you really are for a move of God next Sunday night. See, everybody can roll out of bed on Sunday morning and do the church thing, but when it comes time to pray and get on our face and seek God and have to spend a little time on our knees, most of us haven't done that so long that our knees start hurting and we don't want to do that. And so we get out of God's presence and we're not really as desperate as we say. I'm telling you, we will find out who's really desperate. Come on, I'm preaching tough this morning. You're not supposed to preach like this in the first time in a new building. I'm just telling you how it is. We might as well get it right from the beginning. If we're going to see a move of God, we're going to have to put in the knee time. If we're going to see a move of God, we're going to have to fast some meals. If we're going to see a move of God, we're going to have to change how we live. We're going to have to have to change how we talk and how we think. We've got to become so desperate that we will do whatever it takes and pay whatever it costs to get a move of God. Desperate. So here's some lessons for you. The first one is this. What you make happen for others, God will make happen for you. Elijah walks into town and says, give me your food. She didn't have any food. But she gave him her food. She made provision for him. And so God, in turn, made provision for her. Some of you need to make somebody else's dream come true so that God will step in and make your dream come true. you got to be a dream enabler. Helping people get to their destiny, get to their purpose. It's not all about you. If you would help them get to their dream, God will put the people in your life that will cause your dream to come true. Get your attention off yourself and begin to look around at people and say, how can I help them accomplish the purposes and plans of God for their life? And then God will step in and help you. The second lesson is this. Provision can find you rather than you having to find provision. I am claiming that word right there for my own life. I'm claiming it for this church. I'm claiming it for Southwestern. I'm claiming it for you. Because let me tell you something. I'm tired of having to go and ask for money. I want folks to look, for, look me up and say, you know what? I've got an extra $100,000 in the bank. I don't know what to do with it. Can you use it? Uh, I think I probably could. John, I, I was praying this week over this message, and that is a word for Southwestern, that y'all don't have to keep looking for provision. Provision is going to start looking for you. And some of you need to grab that word in your own personal life. You've been struggling to make ends meet. You don't know where you're going to turn. You've been going crazy. And I am saying to you that if you will obey God, provision will overtake you rather than you having to go out and scramble. See, some of you have been working every trick and every scheme and pulling every string trying to make it, trying to get that. How many of you have ever gotten? Oh, I ain't going to make you raise your hand. You've been involved in one of those get-rich-quick schemes. You've, you've sunk, come on, you sent the $3,000 to Nairobi over the Internet on, on the email, and some heir is supposed to send you $50 million, right? And we try everything but what we ought to try, which is go to the source of provision and say, God, I need provision to overtake my life, and I'm going to quit working so hard at it and just let you pull it off. Then the third thing that he teaches is this, is this. If you put God in a box, you will find yourself in a dry place every time. Elijah must not have been much of a church folk because if he had been, he would have stayed at the brook the rest of the drought. I, don't, I know after six months the water would have stopped flowing, but he would have stayed there anyway. Because I got water out of there once. Boy, y'all are looking at me like I'm crazy. Come on, this is how we are. 
I got God because I sang that song one time. So if we could just sing that song every week, then I could get God. And we end up in a dry place because God moves and we don't move with him. See, God's ways never change. The Bible says that God never changes, but the way that the means he, he uses to accomplish things changes all the time. And when we box him in and say, God, you can't work unless we have what? A pew? A hymnal? A smoke machine? Fancy lights? Big screen TVs? You fill it in, whatever your box is. If we place him in the box, the brook will dry up and we will be dry and thirsty. I'm telling you, some of you have boxed God up already. Because if we don't do it your way, then you're not satisfied. You can't handle it. God will not. He will refuse. He will let you dry up to get you out of the box. Now, let me go on. What happens in this story is that we like to dwell on the revival part of this story. I like to read this story and skip over all the stuff and get to the last where Elijah lays on the boy, breathes into him three times, and he comes to life, right? That's the exciting part of the story. I enjoy that part of the story. I like to focus on that part of the story. But the truth is, is that there is always a route to revival, and you can't just jump to the last portion of the Scripture and miss what's going on before. You've got to take the whole thing and understand that in this story, God outlays for us a design for us to gain revival. And so what happens is this. Here we go. You must first dwell in Zarephath. You have to live there. You've got to get your address changed. You've got to go to the post office and get one of those little cards and forward all your mail. You've got to get your electricity cut off at the old house and get it changed to the new house. You've got to get the new phone number because you have got to go dwell there. It's not a quick stop. It's not just a sojourn through, I'm in here and out, I don't blow in and blow out. This is a dwelling process. You are to live there. Now, why is that so important? It's not unless you understand what Zarephath means. Because the word Zarephath means this, smelting, refining, and dying. Let that sink in for a second. Because what God is teaching us is this. In order for you to get to the revival portion of the text, you must live in a dying place. For you to be able to get the feel goods and the goosebumps and you get your dance on and to get all that stuff that comes to revival, you can't just jump to that. You've got to start back here in the smelting place, the refining place, the dying place, and let God work all of that stuff out of you so that you can f- function in revival. Now, Mike was talking to me this week and, and he blessed me because he said, you know, most of us like the portion of scripture. I hope you weren't ever planning on preaching this here, Mike, because I'm getting ready to steal it. Where are you at? Yeah, I'm stealing it right now. All right. He, he said to me that we all like to quote the portion of scripture that says that joy comes in the morning. The problem with that is that morning doesn't start at 8 a.m. when the sun's up. It starts at 12.01 midnight, right after midnight, when the sun's not up and it's dark and it is a dreary, dreadful place. Tying into this, that if you want to have a revival, you got to start in the dark place, in the dry place, in the dead place, and you got to be willing to dwell there until God steps in. Good word. See, too many times we try to get out of the dying place into the dancing place. And we don't really die. Now, the reason that is important is because we've got to understand and recognize something this morning. That is this, that our God never shows up as a reviving fire until he first reveals himself as a refining fire. Because he knows we leak. And if he just gives us revival and he hasn't refined us, we will lose it within two days. But if he refines us first, we will be able to keep what he pours into us. See, in fact... I read to you out of Malachi, powerful portion of scriptures that says this, that we are to be made righteous. The way we are to be made righteous is we have to deal with God as a refining fire and a fuller's soap. And that is important because that word there for fuller's soap comes from a Hebrew term, the root of a Hebrew term, which means this, to tread, to tread, to walk on. It refers to this idea that back in the day, they didn't have washing machines like you do at your house. They were really old school. 
that they, they would take their clothes and they would take soap and they would work the soap into the clothes and then they would put it under their feet and they would grind it in to get the dirt out. And what God is saying to us is that he wants to walk all over you. He wants to tread all of the impurities out of you. Prejudice, mm, let me just grind on that one a minute. Drunkenness, let me just grind on that one a minute. Hate, let me grind on. Lust, let me grind on that one a little bit. Greed, let me grind on with anger, bitterness. Come on, he wants to grind all of that stuff out of us because what happens is when he grinds that junk out of us, we become refined and pure and it, we, we, we are able to handle what God pours into us. He wants to refine us. Prior to revival, God will always begin to purify his people. Always. He will call us to die before he calls us to be revived. Come on now. He wants to kill us. I know you think God is a God of love and he is. That's why he wants to kill you. He wants to kill everything in your life that would produce bondage and pain and hurt and distress and despair and destruction. He wants to destroy all of that so he can produce in you life. The word refining is defined as this, to reduce to a pure state. That's what he is trying to accomplish in us. And the only way that that can happen is it takes time. It takes days, weeks, months. Depends on how deep the root goes. He wants to take time. Ask David or Joseph about dwelling in Zarephath. Now, they may have never physically gone to the city of Zarephath, but they understood the principle. Because you will remember that from the day that Samuel walks into David's household, pops the cork on the oil, pours it over his head, from the day that he is anointed to become king, 20 years later, 20 years of keeping sheep, singing for a madman, running from a madman, living in caves. 20 years later, he becomes king. See, what we would have done and what we like to do is that when the prophet walks in and pours the oil over us and says, you're going to do such and such, we go to Kinko's and we get business cards. It says, I'm king in the wing, man. I'm ready. I'm ready to take over right now. But the Bible, you go read what happens. As soon as Samuel pours the oil over David, guess what the Bible says? And David went back and took care of his father's sheep for 20 years of dying, struggling, being chased. Then you go ask Joseph. Myra preached to us about Joseph a couple weeks ago. And you understand, from the day of his dream until the time he comes into the palace, he had 12 years of pits and, and dungeons and, and angry brothers and heartache and hardships. They understood the principle of Zarephath that you have to die before God can revive you. Now, let me make some application real quick. You cannot take a quick trip through an altar service and expect God to show up as revival for you. That's a box we've put God in. Well, I'll just spend 20 seconds at the altar on a Sunday morning and then, boy, I'm ready for revival. Bring on the guest speaker. Give me four nights of services in a row. Give me some, uh, some mohair to count and some, some rocks to thump together and, and we can have some good old revival. It doesn't happen that way. That's a box. I can prove it to you. Acts chapter 3. Verses 19 through 21. Listen to the process here. Repent ye therefore and turn again that your sins may be blotted out. So, now listen, there it is. Repent ye therefore and turn again that your sins may be blotted out. That so that there may come seasons of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. And that he may send the Christ who hath been appointed for you, even Jesus, whom the heaven must receive under the times of restoration of all things, whereof God spake by the mouth of his holy prophets that have been from old. So what does that mean? He, he lays out the recipe. You repent. After you spend time in repentance, there comes refreshing. After you spend times of refreshing, there is restoration in that order. And we all want restoration. God, give me back everything. Give me back all my dreams. Give me back all my loved ones. Give me back all my provision. Give me, give me it all, God. Give it all back to me. We just don't want to go back here and say, uh-oh, it starts with repentance. 
where I get between, oh, I'm going to Old Testament, I'm going to Old Testament on you this morning, where in Joel, where it starts between the porch and the altar, where you weep and you rip your clothes and you say, God, I am sorry, I have no hope without you, I haven't been living like I should be living, I haven't been thinking like I should be thinking, I haven't been going where I'm supposed to be going, and I repent, I'm not all that I cracked up to be, I'm not everything I told everybody I am, I am between the porch and the altar, and I refuse to leave this dead place until you get it all out of me. That is the route. There is no easy way, spiced up way, dressed up way, cleaned up way that you can end up in revival except for this, for God to turn the heat up. Because when he turns the heat up on us, our impurities rise to the top. Right? So I'm telling you this. Quit complaining about your life. Quit complaining about your bad job. Quit complaining about your bad spouse. Quit complaining about the situation. Quit complaining about the hard times. Quit complaining about your checkbook. Quit complaining about your car. Just understand that if it's going really bad right now, that where you are is you are dwelling in a place called Zarephath. And if you will stay there as long as God says to stay there, on the tail end of that thing, in due season, at due time, right at the right moment, God will step in and provision will overtake you if you will stay there long enough. Revival will come if you follow the right route. One guy says it like this. He says, Jesus is unique, and one cannot be in his presence and not reveal the man he really is. Jesus pulls each person from behind his mask in the exposure of that bleeding love on the cross. Men become what they really are. You may think you are wonderful until you stand in the presence of the one who is purity itself. It is in the pure light of God that it is the pure light of God that pierces a man. You can keep up your pretense of being holy until you stand in that light. Then immediately there is nowhere to hide. All your masks are torn away, all your hollow smiles fade away. Revival means to be exposed for what we are. The presence of the Lord is revealing. And I would declare to you this morning is it also refining? One guy said this, he says, Repentance hath a purifying power, and every tear is of a cleansing virtue. Hear this, but these potential clouds must still kept, be kept dropping. One shower will not suffice, for repentance is not one single action, but a course. And I am saying to you this morning, that if we really say what we, if we really mean what we say and want what we say, if we are really determined to get all of God that we can get, then it has to start in the altar of repentance. We cannot skip that step. We can try, and it will never happen. It must start there first. And it must start individually, and it must start corporately. Now, I am challenging you this morning to allow God total access no off-limits, no area of your life that he can't get on, no, no area of your life that he can't put his foot on and tread on you a little bit, no pet sins that are, this is my one pet sin, God, I'll give you every one but this one, no pet habits. I am asking you to join me in this challenge right here, that we lay our, our hearts bare before God and say, God, you can have all of me. If, I, if it's my favorite thing to do and you say it's wrong, I will obey and I will get rid of it because you are holy and I want to be holy and I want revival and I will do whatever it takes to get it. I am desperate for you. Well, Steve, you're not supposed to be preaching about dying in a new ser- new church building, first service. Well, let me just say this to you this morning, and I mean this with all my heart, and then I'm going to be done. I want this place. Do I want this place to be filled with joy and s- singing and dancing and victory and deliverance and freedom? Absolutely. With all my heart and soul. But I understand something. To get there, this first has to be a dying place. Where people walk in like some of you did this morning, with all the clutter and sin of their life, and they walk in here and they die so that God can step in and bring life. That is the process. That is the route. There is no shortcut. 
Hear me this morning. Listen, we can fill this place up 92 times a week from wall to wall, ceiling to floor. And if people don't walk in here and die, they will never be revived. So who has to die first? Us. You're the ones that were here on the first Sunday. You get to start the process. You get to die first. Bring out the poison. No, I'm sorry. Just had a, a jump to the 80s, right? We got to die first. Spiritually speaking, we have to die first. Take the walls down and understand that if you want revival, it starts in Zarephath, the hot place, the desperate place, the painful place. I want you to stand with me this morning. Well, Steve, this message doesn't make me want to dance and scream and shout. I understand that. That's all right. We'll get to that later. What it does is it, it, it prepares us to understand that it all starts at an altar. It will always start at an altar. Most of us have been to church most of our life, and for some reason... We've gotten away from altar. I'm not talking about the little funky-shaped pew we put in the front for people to kneel at. You understand that? That's like the guy sitting on the bench. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a place that we come to where we bear our heart and our soul before God. And it takes time, and it's not convenient, and it doesn't fit in my plans to be out of church at 11 o'clock sharp every Sunday morning. It doesn't fit in with my plans to do 17 minutes of music and then move on. It doesn't fit into my plan that, that we, we got to hit the, the number right on board. There's the TV time. I got to get. It doesn't fit in with any of that. All I'm saying to you is this it works. If you stop at the altar, it always works. If you live at the altar, it always works. When we get rid of the altar, we get rid of any chance of people being changed. You got to die. Father, I pray this morning that death would overtake this house. That this would become a dying place where people can come and find life. When they walk in, I pray that every sin would die. Every impurity would die. All the sickness would die. All the symptoms would be dealt with, but further than that and deeper than that, all the root would be dealt with as well. That addiction that we've been dealing with for years would suddenly we would find out what the root is in your presence. We don't need a psychologist to tell us. We need you to tell us. You created us. Tell us what the root is so we can deal with it. Father, we'll sit at the altar. We'll kneel at a chair. We'll stand in your presence and we'll let you expose us for who we really are. And we'll deal with all the impurities of my life. You can make me pure. God, I pray this morning you'd turn the heat up on us and all the impurities of our life would float to the top and you would remove them and we would become people that know how to dwell in the dry place know how to dwell in a dead place long enough for you to step in and breathe life into us again a word of life can be birthed out of the dry place and I pray that you would do that in us this morning in Jesus name in Jesus' name. I'm going to do something we don't do very often anymore. It doesn't seem like I'm going to give a good old-fashioned altar call. Don't box God up. We're going to do it a little different. If you're here and you say, Steve, I am willing to go the route. If it means dying, that's what I'll do. If it means laying down all my pet sins and all my hurts and all my angers and all my bitterness. Some of you have been carrying junk around for 20 years, 30 years. 15 years, whatever it is, doesn't matter. You've been carrying it around and it's kept you from becoming everything that God wants you to become and you're constantly struggling. Here's your altar call. I want you to turn. If this is, this is good for you or you can come to the front, doesn't matter to me. I want you to turn and find a place to pray. I want you to go to your knees. It starts on your knees. Well, the concrete's hard. I understand that. If you can't physically do that, take a seat. But I want us to go into just a, a little bit. We're not going to... We're not going to draw this out for drawn out, out sake, but we are going to take adequate time to repent. 
to let God do surgery on us to make us what he wants us to be. just begin to pour out your heart to him ask him to take your mask off let every wall come tumbling down in our lives oh God make me clean tread everything out of my life oh God walk all over me the hidden areas of my heart my life my mind let me die just begin to repent Father this morning we repent of all the issues of our life the sickness the sin Father we repent this morning I ask for your forgiveness oh God that I haven't lived up to your standards Father individually we take we take ownership of our own sin it's not somebody else's issue it's our issue we've boxed you up and we repent We've lived at a lower standard than what we should. We've gone and done things we shouldn't have done. We, we talked about somebody we shouldn't have talked about. We, we, we let our mind dwell on something it shouldn't dwell on. Father, we repent this morning. Father, we want to be a great people. We want to produce great change. So God, I pray that in the name of Jesus right now as we repent before you, that great change would overtake us. We cannot bring revival to somebody else unless revivals first come to us. And so, God, I pray. I ask you, tread all the things out of my life that are not like you. No areas off limits from you, this God. You have complete authority in my life and in my heart. And if it's not from you, then cut it out. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, we pray corporately as a body right there where we're kneeling and sitting and seeking your face. I begin to pray over this church as a body of believers, God, corporately. We pray that this would be a house that is full of your life. But, God, I pray that it would start with death. I pray that when folks come into here, all the, the, the hang-ups that they've had for so long would suddenly fall off of them. That freedom would be produced and deliverance would be dealt in their life as they encounter you and those issues die away and fade out of their lives, oh God. God, I'm praying for alcoholics to walk in that will walk out of here sober, set free. God, I'm praying for drug addicts that have lost everything, that when they walk into this house and come into contact with these people, whether it be at this house or in somebody else's house, in the street, at the workplace, God, that when they come into contact with us, that drug addiction will be instantly and completely broken. God, I'm praying for dead marriages to come to life. 
I'm praying for rebellious teenagers to suddenly come up under authority. I'm praying for prejudice to fall off. I'm praying for oppression to fall off and depression to fall off. Let us go free, oh God. Let us go free, oh God. Let us go free, oh God. Father, we declare that it's by your grace that we have freedom this morning. That we can walk into freedom. Father, teach us to dwell. Teach us to dwell. sing this with us.
just want to declare this over you this morning. We are going to be a great church, but we're going to be a great church because we're filled with great people that are producing great change where they live. We're not just going to come and have church. We are going to produce change where we live. If the people next to you aren't getting better than they are right now, we're not where we need to be. If this community behind us isn't elevated and people get saved and people come to know Christ and provision is made in their life, we're not doing our job. We will produce great change or we will not play church. I'm going to tell you that right now. That's what we're here for. That's what we're called to. That starts with us. I can't wait on every other church around here to get there and to get to where you live. It starts with you and it starts with me. And the way we do that is we take life and death to people. You know what? You guys look good dead. You wear death well. That's what we're, You know what we ought to be? Dead men walking. That's what we are. Father, I pray that as we leave this house this morning, we would leave this building, but we would not leave this spirit of repentance, the spirit of, of desperation, and the spirit of, of, of a heart's cry that says, I want to produce change in those around me. God, I pray that we would walk out of here dead so that everywhere we go, we can produce life. Revive us. Produce revival in us and through us. Not a set of services that are over and nobody misses them. Not some designated time on a calendar. God, I pray that in the name of Jesus, we would begin to operate in a spiritual revival everywhere we go. And we can do that because our chains are gone. And you've set us free. And Father, we'll worship you and we'll give you glory. We'll give you honor. In Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. Find three people and say, say to them, you look good dead this morning. We'll see you next week. See you at Passion University Wednesday night. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.